Hi, I'm Hayden. I'm Brianna. I'm Tanya. I'm Miriam. I'm Reef. And this week we're talking about King Lear Act 1 and 2. So in Act 1, <laughs> Scene 1, the first, the, the question was, how does Kint's reaction to Lear's banishment of Cordelia introduce the theme of sight and insight? Um, okay, so Kent understands that Cordelia's speech has expressed true loyalty to her father. He warns um, Lear to see better, and Lear doesn't uh, see true honesty and love. Kent offers to help Lear see beneath the surface of appearances. Yeah, I kind of, like, going off of what you said, felt like Kent, like, understood that, like, Lear was kind of blind to what his other two daughters were saying and just kind of, like wanted to hear I don't know how to explain it but basically he wanted to hear that from Cordelia but in some ways I feel like her explaining her point of like you know like no one should love their father that much otherwise they wouldn't have a husband just kind of shows that she like knew exactly how much a daughter should love their father and that like her being able to say that to her father shows that she's loyal to him because she's able to speak to him and show where she's coming from. Yeah, like, she's able to express her beliefs truthfully and not, like, um, over-exaggerate her love. And it kind of shows how King Lear's um, pride, like, he has too much... He wants attention, he wants to be loved. Egocentric. Yeah, Yeah. egocentric, (laughs) which is what blinds him in the end and what later leaves him lonely. Um, so then for, in this first scene of the play, how does Shakespeare establish the parallels between the stories of Lear and his daughters on the one hand and the story of Blue, I don't know how to say that, Gloucester and his sons of the other hand. Um, is his name pronounced... Glossest. It might be. I, I don't know. Yeah. I saw. I, it, oh, go ahead. Oh no, sorry. Um, I saw it as Lear, um, like the one truthful and daughter, or daughter that actually loved him. Um, he banished and like just set out versus um, which is similar to Gloucester, where um, the one son, his legitimate son, who actually loves him. Um, he believes the lies of, um, what's his name? Not Edgar, but... Edmund. Of Edmund. The lies that he tells him and casts the real truthful son. So, like, that, um, blindness to that fact is how I saw it. Yeah, I was just saying that, like, uh, like, natural and unnatural affections is, like, both of them are unable to see like it's kind of ironic that they both like side with their their children that don't love them but then they like cast away or like don't um have as much affection for anymore for their children that do truly love them yeah so i found that kind of ironic i also feel like it kind of plays along with like the actions speak louder than words because in both situations they both were um king lear and Gloucester were um, listening to their sons but not like understanding the actions that were they were taking so like I feel like a lot of times people are blinded by people's words and not by their actions yeah which goes on to like another main point that like even when in the first scene when they were like expressing like their like undying love for their father Cordelia like refused to um, rant and like 
have like I guess the better word to say is pretty words for her father so that shows like her true character and that she's like probably a lot more strong-willed than her sisters okay so then question five explain the ambiguous nature of Cordelia Cordelia's farewell to her sisters the jewels of our father with washed eyes Cordelia leaves you particularly as she reveals the theme of sight and insight Okay, so Cordelia's reference to her own washed eyes serves to illustrate the sight and insight theme. Her crying might be because like she's leaving her family, but I found it more as like a clarity of vision. She can like see like the insight of her sister's like true feelings. Yeah, I agree with that. And then what were you thinking about like the jewels like does that have, like they're shiny they're bright yeah they're i mean i don't know i mean i could go on both ways like i guess jewels are like known as like the pretty like outside appearance so like that's also wealthy something. yeah wealthy and like people like are more drawn to that but i guess that was the only thing i really saw that. i mean i'm sure there's more depth like true character can go along with the jewels and yeah. like status but yeah. i feel like jewels in some sense kind of like showed that like he's kind of blinded by this like idea of wealth and power because jewels usually show that you have some kind of like social standing at least in this time era era and that like his washed eyes were almost like his eyes were like blind i don't know that's what i just kind of thought yeah also i saw like a reoccurring theme of like him thinking that like his status is gonna always be there even after he like abdicates the throne and so he still thinks he has power when he later realizes that he doesn't so jules i guess can parallel like his status because he thinks that like the only appearances and like he doesn't see true insight i guess are we good okay and then on to scene two so question three was what do Gloucester's and Edmund's I feel like I'm just saying that wrong anyways and Edmund's comments about the constellation of the stars reveal about their individual beliefs in the power of the stars or fate okay so I said um Gloucester's expresses his belief that constellations are like responsible for the mischief that is happening in the world but then Edmund does not believe like the stars influence human existence um, I thought he recognized that, like, you, they look at stars for answers or, like, inspiration. So it's definitely, like, very different um, opinions about constellations. Um, sorry, I'm going to just... It was on... I didn't read this one. So, um, on page 35 when they were talking about that um it was i believe it was gawkester let me see yeah um that said that nature finds itself scourged by the sequent effects and i feel like it just kind of showed and he then talked about like love cools friendship falls off brothers divide and i feel like he just kind of saw like this the constellations as like equivalent to yeah like the world because everything in the sky eventually like falls not really falls but like is not exactly where it was before and i feel like that's like equivalent to like how he views life that stuff will not always remain the way it is right now yeah i think this whole thing with nature and like stars and everything it later um contributes to the storm and the effect of weather and how the or the 
just like how everything is no longer uh, orderly and there's destruction later on. I mean, can you kind of like connect that to like the fact of like his daughters and how he feels like soon, like, you know, like you said, the stars will like eventually fall and how everything will go down. Like his like the love for him will go down too, and kind of like that. Kind of, how do you say it? Like foreshadowing that? I don't know. Um, yeah, I do agree with that. I also think like I said before, like the stars represent like the chaos that's going on. So like yeah. him seeing like that there's like chaos going on in the stars he probably is going to be like okay like there is also something going on with the daughters too okay so now on to scene three then so it, the question is whom does Go Goneriel decide to contact by letter at the end of the scene and why um he wants to ensure that Reagan, his daughter that isn't treating, is still treating him poorly, but not as bad as his other daughter. Um, what's her name? Uh, Gorneal. Yeah, sorry. Gorneal. Sorry. I messed that up. <laughs> Gorneal wants to ensure that Reagan does not want their father to retain any degree of power. So both the daughters are like conspiracy against their father. So the, um, he, the father doesn't go to Reagan and ask for help. And I'm sure that like Gorneal, Goneril, I don't know how to pronounce her name, yeah. um, also doesn't want to be, like, put as, like, the bad daughter, even though she technically is putting herself in that position, too. Yeah. So, like, the answer to the question, she, Goneril, yeah, wrote know. to um, her sister, right? Yeah. To, like, make sure she they were both on track and that they were, like, working as a team against their father. Yeah. Um, yeah, to be on the same page. To be on the same page. <laughs> yeah. Uh, then... How does Ken's disguise support the theme of sight and insight? Okay. Um, Kent hopes to still be in service to, like, the former king. Um, the skies uses that supports the theme of sight and insight um, demonstrates that uh, Lier must learn not to judge people according to their exterior appearances so like this could go along with like the daughters and them like um, saying these speeches that they don't believe in about how much they love their father so yet again like Lier is being like um, tricked into thinking that a person is who like something else than what they actually are even though Kent does have good intentions yeah i agree with that um why do you think kent is so um loyal to the king i mean he's cast off he's he has to dress as um, a poor person just to be like his servant um well i think from like this might sound really bad but like maybe he's trying to like get his trust and maybe he's like trying to um how do you say it? like like impressing yeah trying to impress him even though he's treating him badly he's like oh maybe one day i'll get to that point where he trusts me and like he actually accepts me for who i am maybe like one day he'll actually like me and it'll all change if i just keep doing and ignore like anything that's com coming my way Okay, okay, let me add something. So, you know how, like, there's, like, chaos with, like, his daughters and stuff, and probably, like, he, like, what's his name? The, that one dude. Um, <laughs> he's, um, he's trying to kind of, like, 
get something from him maybe knowing that his her like his daughters won't be there kind of ish i don't know like he just wants something like he's kind of doing it for a reason i don't know and then for the third question in scene five i think what wisdom does the fool express about possessions on the one hand and about nothing on the other hand um i said the fool indicates that lear was wrong to give up control over his kingdom and that he was like falsely relied on the goodwill of his daughters yeah and then the quote for that was on page 51 you gave me nothing for it can you make no use of nothing uncle and then lear responds why no boy nothing can be made out of nothing and what was the physical special position so do you think the fool was talking about that nothing can be made out of nothing or does he have a different point that he's trying to make mm. i wasn't sure what his view um, i know lear believes nothing can be made out of nothing and you said that but, was on page 51 let me yeah 51 is when you started out I just think in that quote, it was talking about how, like, the nothing is um, the king not having, like, his kingdom anymore. It's his daughter's. And so it's kind of like, even though he's not king, he still thought that he was going to, um, like, have control over, like, his daughter's probably and his kingdom. But instead, like, his, he has no respect from anyone anymore. Like, he, um, like, literally has nothing, like, no love. He cast away, like, the only daughter that truly loved him. So I think that's what, like, nothing really means. And so he probably thinks nothing is made of nothing because all is hopeless right now. Yeah, and even his servants no longer respect him. Like, Oswald, he, like, totally ignored him for the... Until, like, Lear, like, punched him in the face. (laughs) So... And then nine, what does Goneril, or however you say it, command Oswald to do at the close of the scene and why? Um, he asked Oswald to carry a letter to his sister, Regan, in which she, she explains everything that has happened between them. She worries that, like, Regan will, um, re- um, oh, like, will allow, like, the king's, like, followers that, um, she originally cast away to come back. And so... That's, like, her kind of expressing that she doesn't want her dad to have, like, any more power anymore. Yeah, I feel like um, by, like, sending that letter, it just kind of shows that they're, like, kind of still, like, teaming up against him, too. Because she, like, wanted to make sure that she was on the same page and inform her of where Gornirial's relationship was with her father so that Regan could be on the same page. And then scene, is that scene six or scene seven? Oh, scene um, six. Five. 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 Scene five. Scene five. I just said scene five before, but this is now scene five. Oopsies. Um, so the question is, what does the fool criticize in his statement to Lear? Thou shouldst not have been old till thou hast been wise. Um, I just thought of this scene as, like, the fool knows Lear gave up his kingdom prematurely, so he, like, comments that, like, old age, old age and wisdom don't always go hand in hand. Yeah, I kind of agree with what you said, but I also said that, like, he knows that Lear doesn't have, like, the wisdom that his other daughter had, and a lot of times he was blinded by actual wisdom, by 
people that he saw was more trustworthy because he thought he was more wise than he was because of his age. Yeah, and I also think it, like... Oh, sorry. No, 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 continue. I was just saying, I also thought it foreshadowed, like, his later, like, insanity that he starts to fall into because the fool's already recognizing that, like, he did something really, like, foolish, ironically. Um, I thought it was actually really... Oh, okay. I thought it was really ironic that the fool was commenting about how foolish the king was being for giving up his kingdom, and it, I, like I said before, just foreshadows that like, like the fool is recognizing that the king is going to probably go into insanity just from this decision already. Yeah, and the king never really made important decisions as king. He put his responsibilities to others and really just um, took the wealth and the power and the feeling of being loved which kind of is um doesn't make sense for these people being loyal to him but yet he still um feels like he's powerful but never gained the i guess the knowledge that comes with uh being a powerful individual does anyone have any closing thoughts about act one before we go on to act two nope okay We are going to be moving on to Act 2, and the first question in Act 2, Scene 1 is, how does Gloucester's expression, my old heart is cracked, is cracked, illustrate the parallel between Gloucester and Lear when it comes to old age and their relationships with their children? Um, I just saw this as more of like, they're breaking bond with their children because it's saying like, their old heart is cracked. And so that could also like represent their bond with their children and it's breaking as well. So like, not only is the king like casting away like Cordelia, which is the only daughter he loves, so he's already like breaking that bond with her. But on top of that, he already has a poor relationship with his daughters and he his other two daughters, which he recognizes. So I just think it's like just the, their children's loss of respect and need for power is kind of their breaking bond and like their relationship with their children. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think Gloucester and Lear just they still saw their children as children never realized they weren't like the loving kids that like um, looked up to them and they're because now they see that their children actually want to take power from them and be their own like individual with power so they're just like heartbroken in the fact that they're no longer uh, their children's heroes yeah not only just their children's heroes, but I bet they, like, raise them to always, like, respect them. And now that they've gotten older, their children are not respecting them. And, like, going against with what they probably, like, were taught growing up about, like, the hierarchy of, like, respecting your olders. And then Act 2, Scene 2, the question was, how does the... How does the Gloucester plot continue to parallel the main plot? What does Shakespeare achieve by keeping the two plots so carefully parallel? That's five. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, I said Gloucester puts his trust in the wrong son, just as Lear trusted the wrong daughters. And Gloucester's honest and loving son has run off just as Cordelia has been banished. Yeah, honestly, that's, yeah. that pretty sums it up. <laughs> um, but what does Shakespeare achieve by keeping the two plots so carefully parallel? I feel like it. Sh- I feel like him keeping them so carefully parallel kind of just shows that like this happens a lot in just like the real world of like 
different parallels between family relationships and how especially in like the olden times the hierarchy of like kingdoms and stuff a lot of times kids wanted the power that their parents had because they saw this like egocentric adult and they became egocentric themselves like these problems aren't so uncommon that they root in many families and honestly he probably did this too to like show like the um uh his audience the audience can like recognize that this is also their relationship probably with their children as well like this isn't just like a one-time like um, plot that happens even though it's not um, a true event that's happening it's still like very symbolic probably to the audience yeah, yeah like what can happen when they're too um, how do I say this that they're just I don't know focus on the money and power of their family rather than the actual relationship yeah well also it doesn't have to be just in a family too it could be like in all like day-to-day life with any person um i think shakespeare wanted the audience to recognize that like um this is a learning point for them that they don't have they can't just like be like um i guess enthralled in like all the like pretty things in life i guess and like pretty words and compliments mm-hmm. and now on to is there none for scene two, I guess? So, scene four. Um, the question is, why does Lear, which is question four, why does Lear believe that Regan will treat him with more respect than Goneril? What idea does Lear still cling to? Um, I just said Lear still believes that Regan is bound to him based on like the natural order of family relations. So this was going back on like what I said earlier, that since he was originally there, like, king and he is their father he sees himself as their superior and he thinks that even though um his one of uh Gorneal is um treating him badly he still thinks that reagan will be like the one true daughter so it's still just yet again connects to the theme that like he doesn't recognize like cordelia as like his true loving daughter and that he can't see past the like compliments he receives I also feel like at the beginning he still kind of clings to that like Regan like showed her devotion even though um Goneril her devotion to her father was obviously like not real I think he still like kind of had his last hope is Regan so he still clings on to the fact that she said that at the beginning beginning of the book yeah and just all his desperation near the end when he confronts Regan and then realizes that he no longer has daughters that love him as they showed and then that goes to like the storm is like destruction of power and you probably have questions on that so. <laughs> i actually don't well there is a question on that but the ones that he's has there's not but we can talk about that but um for question seven what revenge does lear swear on both of his daughters um lear promises to avenge himself against both reagan and Neil, but he cannot like formulate the precise plan to, for revenge so this goes on again about like Lear's lack of power anymore like he literally has no power but he is like promising to like avenge himself for this poor treatment he's getting from his daughters and didn't he like like maybe I'm wrong but didn't he like cast a spell or something on one of his daughters for infanter yeah, yeah to not have kids yeah to not have kids but, like if they did have kids to like 
have the kid either be like super like sick or just constantly torment um, her so that like they're miserable with their ch children. So yeah. Same. Um, and so did he? Did he cast that on just Gorneriel, or did he do that on? I think Regan just Gorneriel. Like, yeah. 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 Okay. Be, yeah. So then, question eight: What makes the sisters' actions at the end of the act seem particularly cruel? They left him in the storm oh, outside. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was really. Yeah, they took his power and then they're just cast him away. Yeah, it's definitely a scene that shows that like the lack of respect they have for their father. They literally just locked him out while it's like like a huge storm was going on outside. Didn't right. he like start begging them to let him in too? So then that like shows also his like loss of power. Yeah. Uh, his yeah everything changed now he's the beggar yeah and the fool and didn't they get rid of like all of his servants and knights as well yeah so he was just like completely emptyless yeah. after like providing his daughters with everything that they mm. have which i just think is really cruel yeah and also it, like foreshadows like also like how he's going to start going into insanity because he really is being forced into the state because no one will give him any like love or respect anymore and he's it's like taking away so quickly now like he used to have so much now he has like nothing yeah i guess that relates to people in our society how i guess you'd say celebrities they have this like they feel like they're loved by everybody but then something can change they're equally hated yeah that's actually a really good point <laughs> it is so so that's all we have for act two. So next we are doing the sonnets that we did today in class. And the first one we're starting off with is what lips my lips have kissed and where and why. So for this one, I thought the speaker was like reflecting on the shared memory she had of like her past lovers. What did you guys think? Yeah, and how she no longer owes. Um, how she know she's forgotten those feelings and those feelings like when she says it's full of ghosts tonight they kind of haunt her and the fact that she no longer feels them i think also that she still is like feeling have like this like happy feeling like she knows she was in a happy state when she was having like this experience with them at the time but like you said now reflecting back on it she just she's a shell of a human <laughs> <laughs> um and then I also wanted to point out, like, and in my heart, there stirs a quiet pain. I think, like, when they come to her as ghosts, she kind of remembers, like, all the happy times she had with her past lovers. And it just kind of makes her sad because they're not there anymore to provide her with, like, the same happiness that she had when she was with them. What did you guys think? Okay, so, like, first of all, I left mine in the classroom, so I don't have it with me. But um, I thought, I honestly thought something else, and now that I'm thinking about it, I thought it was really dumb. I thought it it talked about, like, her passed out, and she didn't know who she was kissing. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then um, the lonely tree and the birds, like, how in this, I guess, it said in the summer, the tree is, like, it's, like, sunny, birds are around. She feels loved by all these, if she was a tree, birds, but men, and then... Now it's like winter and they vanish and that's like how she feels like she's alone. Yeah, she's definitely alone. has a theme there. Yeah, because yeah. I, I noticed 
like because I know you brought up the winter and the summer like yeah. I think she's the lonely tree and in the winter yeah. like I feel like winter itself just kind of represents sadness and like loneliness because um, of like hibernation and I don't it's know cold. it's cold <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I which is, agree sorry yeah no you're good because uh, okay. um, like I thought like when she's in the winter you're cold and you're like alone there's like snow around you and you can't really see anything it's all like covered in ice and ice is like cold and you're all you're sad and I also thought like when she said like the birds have vanished one by one that means like each of her lovers has like moved on to another place because like birds don't really like stay in one place they move around so I like I thought it was like oh her lovers are like leaving her alone one by one and yeah that's and then and then it says after that like I only know that summer sang in me and so I feel like this is like her like reflecting on how summer used to make her like happy and I feel like maybe I'm wrong but I feel like a lot of times like it's like known like there's like summer flings or that's just like a like a movie term maybe but I feel like a lot of times like summer is like seen as like the (laughs) not the love time but like that just like more is going on in life because it's just like more happy and people are just like more appreciative of each other and then she says like that the summer sang in me but though that in me sings no more like that now she doesn't have any more lovers and happiness and that bring her happiness. Yeah, I can also see Summer as, like, the emotion she felt when it's because Summer's, like, warm and, like, loving. And so that's the emotion she felt when she was with them. And then there was one that was, like, ghosts tonight and um, I think it was talking, oh, yeah, and rain and, like, crying and, like, unremembered lads. And this is her, like, present emotions. So I found it kind of interesting that she, like, talked about her present emotions but then like talked about her past emotions so it's kind of reverse of how like most stories are told do you guys want to talk about our next song? yeah <laughs> so our next sonnet that we picked was how i discovered poetry and i kind of felt like this was just kind of like I'm guessing that it's about Marilyn's life in poetry, the author, but, like, how she basically, like, the emotions that poetry, like, evoked in her and that her classmates when she was younger, like, didn't feel the same. Yeah, I definitely, like, think it brought up a lot of universal themes such as, like, racism and, like, the power of words because in the sonnet it said white class, and I know we talked about this earlier, and it was saying how she's the only African-American in the class, and how um, she was like not forced to but she like said this whole speech in front of like her class and um, she later realizes like the power of words and like how it's not always like I guess um, it's like going into like the whole like civil rights movement but it definitely like talks about how like there is a shift in the class perspective on like African Americans yeah and then um, I was not totally sure on the repetition of smiled, like what that meant, like the teacher continually smiled, smiled harder, if that was just like her supportiveness or if there was like some deeper meaning to that. Yeah, I wasn't sure if she was mocking her. Or <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, that's, no, that's, that's what I was confused about because I was like, it could go either way that she's like, like that her herself is like racist in this time and that she's yeah. like the only one. And even she said that she, like at the f- beginning, it said like Miss Purdy must have seen the darkest eyes in the room brim, which is obviously her. <laughs> um, and then like continues on to talk about like how she was the only person white, I mean, the only person 
that was colored in her white class. And I feel like the smiling could be like her like smiling uncomfortably almost like that like she feels like she's the only one that could read the poem but it could go the opposite where she understands that she's the only one that likes poetry so she's trying to encourage her what do you guys go. Think? <laughs> uh, i don't know i just thought it was racist i was like wait i was like wait a minute i mean it's kind of weird because like she was the only one to give like a poem like you said it could go like both ways because mm -hmm. i was like okay she's the only one that actually like understands this and like kind of feels the power of words but yet she's like the only colored person and the only one that she actually gave a poem to like present and in front of like an all-white class and i don't know yeah it goes both ways. when she says i stood and opened my mouth to banjo playing darkies pick annies disses and dats it's like how the poetry kind of she didn't see her audience as just some white classmen because I searched up Pig Annie's and it's like a small black child and then banjo playing darkies. So like her whole environment, like she's um, enthralled in the poetry that she was presenting. So then it kind of, if, if that's the case, then it was kind of mocking her, I feel like in some ways because um, all of those, I, and even like, I don't know if this is in dats, but like, I feel like that language is like, um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know how to phrase that, but I feel like it was kind of like in a way, like mocking her, the, what is back then stereotyped as her culture. Like some slang. Definitely. Yeah, that's exactly are we good? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to our podcast this week, and I hope you enjoyed.